Well, hello and welcome to episode number 472 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I am Carlos and in this week's packed, because it is packed show, uh, we've got a pungent pooch, oh my word, hope it's not like last week, a Russian plane plow, a delinquent doggy, and in the military here I've got a fancy biz jet, and a secret fighter and a disposable drone. Joining me this week, as always, I'm going to have to read this, uh, our young master, Matthew Smith. So I have to read that, you see, because it's in the actual um, show notes. And Matt, we can't hear you. Don't know. If no, 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 there. I'm here. I'm just speechless. Yes, young master, Matthew Smith. <laughs> right. Resident okay. in the PTUK Global Headquarters Primary Technology Centre. Who wrote, who wrote that? I have a feeling, I have a feeling young master Nick Codling has, has oh, written. All right, okay, down. fair enough. Uh, well, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, still here, still pressing all the wrong, but all the right buttons, but not, not necessarily in the wrong order or whichever way around that is. Just, uh, just a quick round of applause for Matt for saving, saving the airwaves today because... <laughs> it's been a, it's been a challenging day everywhere with techs, and thanks, Matt. For yeah, it's all been all right. It's, it's, it's just um, well, don't talk it up, Carlos. So far, we're doing all right. Quiet, you. <laughs> and from across the home counties, we have our very own Scandinavian returnee, oh. Sir Neville Bounds. <laughs> yes, I am back from uh, Sweden. In fact, I was back from Sweden last week, but I got back so late, it was too late to do the show. I was also very tired as well, but uh, had a very good, uh, what, four days in Sweden, roughly. And uh, the weather was beautiful. You know, it was 32 degrees or so here. It was 26 in Stockholm, which for this time of year is uh, pretty good going. And uh, the sun's very intense there, though, so you've got to get the older... Um, yes, uh, fa factor 900 yes. on, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was very good, very good. Uh, good flying. Lots uh, of good coming back, though. I might mention that later on, perhaps. Are okay. we having Nev's rant? Well, a minor one, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, okay. A little, a little later on. Oh, oh, right, okay, all right. <laughs> and, I was going to say, uh, the, the image is loaded, by the way. If... <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, it's so good. Uh, you might notice that... Uh, Armando is not with us. I'm going to continue reading what uh, Nick uh, has put okay, here in the show right. notes. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, our king of cool is too busy having too much fun with racing aeroplanes <laughs> because flying biz jets isn't cool enough, right? So unfortunately, no Armando this week again. But moving... Well, Nick's with us, so we'll say hello to Nick because Nick's here this week, our intro writer for the show this week. Hello, Nick. <laughs> Good evening. Are you all right, Nick? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks good for writing the intro. Here. Yeah, pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I had a little bit too much time on my hands this morning. <laughs> oh, dear. I thought you were going to say you had a little bit too much to drink. <laughs> no. no, it's safe to say that this week in the show, we've got some great stories re uh, regarding a certain uh, manufacturer of aircraft, be it Airbus. So we thought, who's best to get on the show to, to <laughs> you know, tell us everything that we need to know about the Airbus A320 and, and thereabouts. And it is, of course, I mean, he's our super sub. It is, of course, Andy. Hello, Andy. Should I leave? I think you rang the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> you want the Airbus stuff, yeah? yeah. <laughs> only joking. Hello again. Thanks for having me back. Now, I know you've done your research, so don't, don't, don't try playing that card, Andy. <laughs> 
Matt, you're not supposed to give away oh. the production oh, oh, of my on behind the scenes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's been Pete doing this a long time now. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to get him his own his own um, personalised um, shirt soon, aren't we? You know, super sub. We could get a super sub shirt. Perhaps we should have super sub shirt. <laughs> no, no. Oh, say that after no. a few RBAs. Super, <laughs> super sub shirt. Yeah, don't go down there. Poor Andy's got to got to work tomorrow. Let's stop talking oh, about the beers. He has got we? to work tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> More on that later. Uh, oh dear. Now. We have got a video from Armando uh, to, uh, to start off the show this week, but I'm going to carry on reading what our great uh, uh, executive host producer has written in the show notes this week. But moving right along, it's time to get into the best part of the show, which we're calling What's in Your Glass? Kicking off is Matt, who will be single-handedly <laughs> propping up Kiwi wine production with a zesty white from the Marlborough region. Carlos has been hitting it up the hipster breweries for an excellent hoppy IPA. <laughs> ah. Meanwhile, Nev is doing his best to dull the pain of international air travel with some straight-up single malt from an art, artisan, artisanal Artis brewery, <laughs> the distillery somewhere in the Careful. careful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but oh, blimey, honestly, Nick. I think we've set but, the tone for the show already. Yeah. I've been... <laughs> we have. I mean, where can we way go? Too, to way too high for me. I'm going week. out. Yeah. <laughs> So make it a regular feature. Oh, goodness. <laughs> as I said, we have got a little video from Armando. As you know, he has been very busy uh, this week at the Reno Air Races doing loads of great stuff. So we have got a little message straight from Armando. Hey, guys, Armando is here uh, checking in from the Reno Air Races. So far, it's been a great, great week. We've been out here since last Saturday. It is currently... Uh, Wednesday, I think. Uh, no, it's Thursday. It's Thursday. So it's been almost a week of flying here. No major incidents whatsoever. It's been beautiful weather, as you can see here from the background. It's just, uh, oh man, look at these great airplanes. The uh, weather has been great. It's been cooperating. The winds have been calm. And I have some great interviews coming up for you guys. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy some of these. short clips from some of the pilots talking about what Reno means to them. All right, Bob Mills, race 4-9, class president. What has Reno meant to you? Yeah, you know, Reno is really the culmination of uh, year-round work and effort by myself, my team, the, every, all of the racers that we see out here. And uh, it's it, we put our whole, whole heart and soul into this for the entire year to come out for a, a week of the most fun you could have in an airplane. We, uh, we're here to start racing today with our bronze, our silver, and our golds, and it just gets faster for the rest of the week. Uh, guys like Armando here making it possible for us to get out and race by keeping everything uh, controlled on the ramp. And, uh, you know, we're here doing what we love to do best with the best friends that we have in the world. What does this week mean to you? This week, you know, it's, there's, it's, it's an interesting week because it's the final checkered flag here in Reno uh, it's hopefully it's going to move to a new venue but it's also a, uh, a springboard for sport class air racing and sport air racing council we've just received accreditation to uh, begin having our own single class races which we're going to find venues and air shows that want to put racing into their event and uh, we're going to bring the expertise to put on a fantastic show and sport class is yeah. interesting because 
we can race anywhere from 200 miles an hour to 400 miles an hour and kind of fit any air show out there. So, so we're building for the future, but enjoying where we've come from here for this week as well. How would you describe this class to the average pilot out there? Sport class is all about innovation. It's a class of experimental airplanes. Most of these airplanes were started in there in garages for the pilots that are flying them. And um, we, we have the, uh, the flexibility to try new things, try modifications, you know, all with safety as our fundamental yeah. foundation. But it allows us to, to really do interesting things. You know, everything from the new wing that Steve Smith designed that we have on my airplane, which is the first of its kind composite wing on an RV aircraft, to amazing airplanes, uh, Lancer Legacies, Lancer Super Legacies, Super Glass Airs, airplanes with 800 horsepower engines at, at their full turbocharged yeah. point, right? You know, so it's a uh, sport class is, is just, it's a, it's an amazing place to be. It's the wave of the future, I think. Thanks, Bob. All Have right. a safe week out Thank there. Thank you very much. Right. All right, George. Race 5-6. What has Reno meant to you? Reno has been a part of my life since 1979. I have been coming here, meeting friends, racing airplanes, and having one of the best times of my life every year. It's just part of life. It's like getting up in the morning. It's very sad that this is the last one. It is very sad. Very Where are we going? Where are we going from here? The goal is Las Cruces next, um, but we have a whole new uh, air race organization owned by the sports class, which is very exciting. And I feel very confident that there's a whole new future for the sports class and air racing in general. All right. There's race 5-6. See you out there. All right, guys. we got uh, Olivier race 130 and Joe Caraggio race 6. What has Reno meant to you guys over the past couple of years? It's a family. It's the September family. And, of course, engineering. Let's make it better. And this guy got a PhD in aerodynamics. <laughs> over the yeah. past couple of years, right? Right. Now, the... The last seven months, I've um, had Dave Anders helping me a lot, and there's no better way to try and get a PhD in aerodynamics than with Dave Anders. But the September family's great. Um, the innovation and excitement of the sport class. Um, I'm pretty excited from qualifying last year to this year. I'm 32 miles an hour faster. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. And, and you see that amongst all of the people here in the sport class. They're just really trying hard to put down some good laps and have fun flying with, with our September family. Did you right? get your number from the first time you raced here? How much faster from the first lap? From the first lap, I think I was around 269, 270. Wow. So to 314. That, so what is that? I'm, I'm good at math. That's 44 <laughs> miles an hour. 44 <laughs> miles an hour in the same airplane. All right, guys. I'm at 39. 39 yeah. in the same airplane. Both of you guys have had some really good improvements over the last couple of years. So, yeah. Olivia, you first. Where do we go from here as a class? We go race everywhere. <laughs> like everywhere. It. I think. Uh, the sport class has some really uh, exciting opportunities coming up to be able to race multiple times a year and turn it into a season instead of a once a year event. I like so it. I'm really excited about that. All right. Have a safe flight today. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, guys. Here I'm with uh, Craig Gills, crew chief for Sport 2-1. Craig, over the last couple of years, what has Reno meant to you? Uh, it's amazing. It's the September family that really does it for me. We all come together from different places in our lives, and we meet here every year. The camaraderie, the fact that everybody wants to help everybody else is just amazing. I mean, I look forward to Reno every year because it's where I get to see all my people. Truly one of the best parts about this class is that everybody jumps in to help Absolutely. when somebody it's needs It's amazing. It, right? You will see people at 2 o'clock in the morning working on somebody else's airplane, and then they're basically trying to compete against yeah. them the next day, and everybody <laughs> has a smile on their face. One of my favorite moments is watching Andy 
uh, Finley and Jeff Lavelle working together on an airplane. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is the coolest Just thing in the absolutely world. Absolutely ardent competitors. I yeah. mean, amazing how competitive they are, and yet they want to help each other out because they want to bring out the best in the other one. So when they win, they really win. All right, where do we go from here as a class? Uh, I think that we become our own entity, which we're working on, and then we start doing regional races that lead up to a final race. I think the beauty of that is, is that a lot more people will go to PRS, and a lot more people will become involved in the sport. I know there's a lot of us out there who hope to be a pilot one day if, you know, in one of those races, and so I'm hoping that that will be the case. Cool. cool. We'll see you out there today. Okay. Thanks, man. All right. Tom McNerney, Race 4. What has Reno meant to you in the last couple of years? Ooh. Uh, a lot of work. Uh, it takes a huge amount of work to get an airplane built and get it here and have it work and get it home in one piece. And you did build that one right yeah, there? Yeah, build that one. So it's just a, it's a whole lot of work. What, are, what, is, what does it mean to you this week specifically? Well, it's, you know, I'm personally glad that I was able to get it done for the end. Um, you know, this yeah. is the first year of the airplane race and it just barely got done in time. So uh, for me, I'm just glad I got here to the very last one. I've been racing since 2010, I yeah. think. So it's been around. Um, but anyway, uh, that's all you got. All right, buddy. Where do we go from here as a class? Oh, I think, honestly, probably the best thing for the sport class is, uh, is in the years coming up. We're right. going to have a lot more places to go and uh, I think a lot less complications. It's going to be a good thing for us. All right. Have a safe flight out there. Thank you. Cool. Hi right, guys, here with uh, D. Childs, Race 60, and his son Jacob. What has uh, Reno meant to you over the last couple years? Oh, it's, this has been awesome. I spend my entire year preparing for this, and it's just a, a dream come true to be here. And uh, what a great group of people. The, all these sport class guys are just so much fun to hang out with. So. Yeah, Jake, you've been and, supporting your dad, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's just awesome to come out here every fall and out in the summer and just get together with everybody and just have a good time and a lot of yeah. fun throughout the week. Super time. We've have a we appreciate all these guys like Armando who, <laughs> who take good care of us and keep us out of trouble. Well, big question for the week. Where do we go from here as a class? I don't know. We're going to do this again somewhere. Yeah. I hope it's, it's going to be hard, hard to replace this venue, but we'll find it someplace. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most special part about being here this week? Uh, being here for the last time with these people. And just the camaraderie of the week. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Cool. You take care out there. Thanks, man. I did. Safe okay. to say, he got the good weather. He definitely okay. got the good weather. Okay, I'm really bored of these videos now. <laughs> it's just like, Honestly. Can we stop being so damn blooming bloody cool, please? <sighs> I know He's having we, an awful we, time, isn't he, by the look of it? We, we are, we're lucky in, in, our, in our closed sort of group PTK host chat because we get to see all the, the videos and pictures and stuff that yeah. don't necessarily tend to make it to social media. But yeah. um, he's, having a, he's having a damn good time, it's uh, safe to say. And it looks like we've got loads of incredible stuff to look forward to when, when, he's, uh, when Reno is over as well. Looking forward to sharing yeah. that all with you very, very soon. So we're going to say a quick hello to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room tonight. Kicking off, Mazus, he's in the chat room. Now, I know Mazus is uh, not in the UK at the moment, so <laughs> it's nice to see Mazus in the chat room. I think he's, uh, he's somewhere slightly warmer, I think, Matt, isn't he? Uh, I, I believe so. He says frantically pressing the buttons trying to find that. <laughs> He's, he's not appearing for some reason. Hang on, oh, give me a second. Anyway. Yeah, here we go. Uh, no, it's oh, brilliant. I love it when it all goes terribly wrong. Oh, ah! <laughs> um, there, we there we go. There we go. Found it. Found it. There you go. He's See, it's your it. fault. You were, you were talking about it earlier, all going too smoothly. That's it. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mazus is uh, over in oh, Washington, D.C. I say, that's the old monument. The Air and Space Museum. Yeah, that's the old mon monument behind him, isn't it? 
Yeah. He's looking like he's having the fun there. I mean, the weather looks fantastic there, honestly. Nice yeah. to see you, Mazus, in there. Uh, Captain Cruz is also in there, our winner from last week. He uh, won the uh, the Boeing 787 Dreamliner book last week. That's on his way, That's on the way to you now, by the way, Captain Cruz. That is on its way. Uh, Paul Tricker is in there, our resident uh, local Paul Tricker, our photographer here uh, in East Anglia. Dirk S. is also in there. Good to see you in there. Nick Codling. Hello, Nick. Nice to see you in there. Aaron P., uh, Arnie is in there. Hobby Time is also in the chat room. Mash is in the chat room. Uh, Captain Ridiculous Wits wouldn't be a chat room without Captain Ridiculous Wits in there as well. Uh, Neville Bounds is in there, wielding his blue spanner of doom. And Oscar, hello to Oscar. Uh, saw Oscar last week, gave him a little treat bag. He got a goodie bag full of some great stuff last week. So I'm sure Oscar is enjoying that. Uh, Bill is also in there. Bill's in there. Good to see you in there. And Richard Adams as well. Hello to you, Richard Adams. I know Richard's uh, been to the air show in Jersey this week, hasn't oh, he? Oh, very good. I think, yeah, so he's been there. Uh, so great to see everyone in there. Don't forget, if you are listening to us in the audio show, we are, we are on YouTube. Just look for us on YouTube, Plain Talking UK. Don't forget to click subscribe and yeah, hit the bell icon to be notified when uh, we are live doing shows on a Friday night at 7 o'clock as we are now. So, we've got loads to get through, including some great aviation news and stories that are going to be very, very well talked about, aren't they, Andy? <laughs> yes. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> so, Nev, are you ready? Certainly. Let's go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So, the first story this week from airdatanews.com. Been interesting to hear your views on this, Nev, because you travel quite a bit in uh, these short sort of the uh, short haul aircraft. But the uh, the test a Airbus A321XLR uh, registration Foxtrot Whiskey Whiskey Alpha Bravo took off Wednesday this week from Toulouse, France, for a 10-day world tour aimed at demonstrating the aircraft's long-duration flight capabilities. In this mission, which the company calls Route Proving, the narrow-body jet must complete 100 hours of flight uh, passing through several cities around the world. According to the manufacturer, the test will involve 15 flights in which the A321XLR must simulate short and long-distance air operations on trips lasting up to, get this, 11 hours. The, air, the A321XLR can uh, be followed on Flight Radar 24. Airbus also created a website as well dedicated to the mission. According to the plane maker, the MSN 11080 test aircraft will make a series of round-trip flights to Toulouse Airbus headquarters, one of them heading to the North Pole as well. On other occasions, uh, the XLR will circulate around Europe and the final phase it will fly to an airport in the USA to evaluate transatlantic operations. On its debut flight, the aircraft went to Spain, crossed Portugal from north to south, returned to Spain, crossed part of the Mediterranean Sea to Italy, where it turned north to the Venice region. From there, the, A the A321XLR returned to Toulouse on a flight of 6 hours and 45 minutes. 
The uh, aircraft is one of three prototypes of the variant and the only one equipped with a full cabin interior. The jet also uses Leap One engine supplied by CFM and launched at the 2019 Paris Air Show. The A321XLR is an aircraft with the potential to revolutionize long-haul travel. Hmm, don't know about that. Equipped with an additional fuel tank, the single-aisle aircraft promises a flight range in the region of 4,700 nautical miles, a range currently only possible with large commercial jets. Offering good performance numbers, the aircraft is already a sales success, even before its official debut. Since the launch of the program, Airbus has received more than 500 orders for the 321XLR. Now, Nev, you are our resident uh, sort of passenger as such, short-haul flights and stuff, but could you obviously imagine travelling in a similar aircraft? Obviously, the 321 is a slightly longer uh, Airbus, but travelling to the States? Well, this is uh, a good question, and this aircraft has been a long time coming too, hasn't it? Um, now, I'm very impressed with the range that they've managed to get out of this aircraft with all the sufficient uh, fuel reserves that they need as well. I mean, it's unbelievably good. Uh, the engine efficiency must be fantastic. What, for me, uh, remains to be seen is single-aisle operations on, you know, uh, eight to ten-hour flights. Um, if it gets a bit congested in the cabin um, on the short haul sectors, on the medium haul sectors with these aircraft. So what's it going to be like when people want to get out and stretch their legs and there's cabin crew and trolleys and yeah, catering and what have you to think about. So uh, I would like to give it a go at some point um, to see what it's like. So I'm going to try and do a North Atlantic uh, run at some point um, just to see what it's like. Um, but um, it will be interesting to see what, um, how the experience is. And I'm looking forward to that when I get a chance to do it. But I've just got this feeling, I have got a preconceived idea about it, that it might be a bit too congested. Uh, I don't know what the seating numbers are on these aircraft. But, I doubt uh, you'll see one of these in full economy. No. Uh, JetBlue already operate the 321LR on... Um, I think the longest leg they do is Amsterdam, New York at the moment, mm. which just launched. And they've got some business class suites on there that look very nice. In fact, seat 1A, is called, uh, seat 1A and 1F is called the Mint Studio. You have to pay an extra <laughs> uh, $200, but it's even more room. You can actually fit two people in there, a Dane as well. Ooh. Um, and yeah, and it looks like quite a good uh, package. But this will bring the cost of super long haul down for people as well. It's a very efficient aeroplane. Um, so, um, yeah, and I think that obviously the A350s and the 787s have been dominating these uh, long haul sectors now for, for a while. Um, and Airbus, you know, have been trying to get into this market. and They've now come up with solutions that can uh, do these long distances uh, especially across the north atlantic uh, sectors so let, let's see For, uh, forgive my naive, naivety here but as you say like if you're doing a sort of flight of seven or eight hours for example because you're, you're going as you say north atlantic etc um are they going to have the capacity to store like the meals and things like that though yeah i mean i think they've 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 
Because it's not a regular A321 in the sense that it would be carrying, I don't know, 220 passengers right. or something like that, uh, I think that they will have sorted out the, the galley areas and, and, the, and, and what have you to make sure that they've got sufficient food and also, um, you know, to deal with the weight and balance of the aircraft as well because, you know, it will have a, a lot of fuel on board, but also the efficiency with which these Leap 1 uh, engines run at mm. is just phenomenal. Um, so, um, yeah, I, th I think, well, let's be honest, they wouldn't be doing it if they thought it wasn't going to be successful. True, so, true, very um, true, yeah. No matter what I say. <laughs> yeah. I see Aaron says that a question about that length of flight brings up crew augmentation and rest issues. It doesn't actually. Um, depending on what time of day you start, you can actually do 13 hours straight without any need of any extra crew. It's generally ah. down to union agreements that uh, extra crew are carried depending on the airline. But the type of airline that this aircraft is sort of aimed at would just be using max uh, flight time limitations. So yeah, could easily do it two crew. Really? Mm. Wow. I mean, we spend we spend this like twelve hours a day in one of these things anyway, going somewhere and coming back. True, true. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um... I didn't think you worked for more than four hours a day, Andy. <laughs> well, I try to avoid it <laughs> best I can. You know. <laughs> well, quite indeed. <laughs> indeed. Actually, Michael does bring up a very good point in the chat. Actually, the the whole idea of transatlantic flights in a single aisle aircraft are not knew that you know cast your mind back you know for those of us who are lucky enough to have flown on the 707 back in the day that was you know a single aisle aircraft obviously a little bit uh, longer uh, a bit bigger mm. do you remember those nev the old 707 with the um i do i've never been on a 707 uh but um yes of course exactly right um so uh but uh, no i i think because of the uh the, the cost of fuel and all the rest of it this is this kind of operation uh, is bound to be very successful, I would say. Yeah. And the 21 was never designed for this sort of mission. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. But it's interesting, isn't it, that they've managed to, um, with, you know, obviously additional fuel tank and, and better engines and um, fuel management and what have you, they've managed to get a lot more range out of this. It's unbelievable the range that they've managed to get out of it. Um, yeah. So they, that's allowing for, I would imagine, going westbound where the winds tend to be uh, against you. Um, but it will arrive in uh, parts of the US with, uh, you know, well within the fuel reserve uh, legal limitations, I, I presume. Oh, yeah. The Leap is such an efficient engine. It mm. uses around, between both engines, around 400 kilos an hour less than the CFM 56. Gosh. Well, so that, yeah. when you put that over several hours it's a big big saving mm. yeah definitely yeah so mm. man you've got the next story obviously it's a ryanair story and we're going back to the old fees again we are indeed so we sort of covered this a bit um last, last week, week really yeah. um but uh yeah we're, we're sort of it's just sort of really sort of i, I don't know i don't I, I feel like we're maybe naming and shaming i'm not quite quite sure here but uh uh, we'll, we'll go. We'll go with what we've got here. Is timeout.com is the source on this one, and uh, the headline is: These are the European airlines with the most hidden fees. Uh, drip uh, pricing, by the way, uh, producers put in the notes here saying that that can increase the cost of a flight by over three hundred and forty 
percent. But uh, yeah, there we go. Let's uh, let's uh, take a look at this. It was reported last week that the UK government is planning to crack down on airlines that slap a whole load of hidden fees into the cost of their flights on everything from seat re reservations to extra baggage. Though it seems that the days of these nasty surprises are numbered. The European airlines, which are the worst for hidden fees, has been revealed. So you can still make an informed decision in the meantime. Net Voucher Codes, a UK deal and voucher website has done some research to find out which European airlines are most guilty of drip pricing. That's adding extra prices to the price of, extra charges I should say, to the price of a trip on top of the cost that was advertised. Uh, the company compiled a list of the world's top airlines, curated a route for each the original amount. EasyJet came in third with a flight increase of 170%. If you're keen to save money, then you're booking when you're booking your next flight, it seems like the best way to avoid a hidden fee is by not selecting your seat. 90% of airlines all over the world include this as an add-on, but some airlines actually let you choose for free within the 24-hour check-in period before departure. So here we go. Here's the list of the 10 airlines with the most hidden fees um, and I've pressed the wrong button and it's all disappeared here we go it's uh, we'll start at the bottom shall we it's uh, number I want to say number 10 yes Lufthansa uh, does surprisingly Nev at number nine well, it's British Airways. British so Airways, yeah. Very, very, very decent airline, and they don't do anything, uh, you know, behind people's backs. <laughs> no, no, quite, of course, indeed. <laughs> and uh, Andy, at number seven, if you would. <laughs> number seven? Uh, okay. Do we miss number eight? Uh, Norwegian? Yes, that, that's what I meant, yes. <laughs> and number seven's Finnair as well. Very good, okay, thank you. <laughs> Nick? <laughs> number whatever it is? <laughs> Uh, oh, what have we got? Jet 2, I think. Indeed. And in at number 5. Carlos. One I like to pronounce correctly, hopefully. <laughs> Vueling. Very Welling. Well. <laughs> oh, God. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> uh, number 4, Nev. Uh, this is Air Europa. Interesting. Air, what's, well, who, who's, sorry, forgive my naivety here. Who's Air I think Europa? they're Spanish, I think, aren't they? Are they? Air yep. Europa. Also oh, yeah. owned by IAG, who own British Airways. I see. And uh, number three, Andy. EasyJet. Never heard of them. Uh, number two. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, please put it's, me out uh, three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the uh, airline, you know, when, you, when you're caught short, it's Wizz Air. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, very good. Yeah. And obviously, uh, no surprises at all. Number one, of course is Ryanair. Uh, yeah, I mean... These hidden fees, I, honestly, if you go look at the look at the website, and I looked at a couple of websites this week, and Ryanair, when you go through a book, hmm. uh, book of flight, there are drop-down boxes, there are bits and pieces on the web. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they're exactly hidden. They're not, like, you know, hidden away behind a... No, and of course that's what we were talking about last week, wasn't yeah. it? It's just that you know it it it, it is what it is. I, I I just I don't know. Do are are the days of hidden fees numbered though? I mean, realistically, Nev. I mean, how successful are are you know are the the authorities here in in the UK, for example, who seem to be championing this as a as a no go? I mean, realistically, how successful are they going to be? 
Well, of course, the, the criticism previously was that uh, boxes were checked for you and it was uh, your job to uncheck them if you didn't want that facility. Mm. A bit like um, donating parts of your body and things like that. You oh. have to opt out of things in some cases. Um, oh. But uh, I... I think they've made it a lot clearer, and I and I think to say that they are hidden fees, or is as Carlos said, that's probably going a bit far. I, I would say that they are optional, um, but so in some cases they are ticked for you, and it's up to you to untick it. Mm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, I, I still think it's a reasonable. But if you're in a, the thing is, if you're in a rush to book a flight, uh, it's very easy to get. Um, uh, well, pay more than you'd expected because you end up with with things ticked that you didn't really want, for example. Mm. So, yeah. If if these options disappear and everything has to be lumped in, then the airlines are just going to charge more than they would have yeah. with the adding the extras on. Yeah, in my opinion, because there's no reason for them to not. So we weirdly, almost then, Andy. I mean, you you could almost argue that perhaps by you know these so-called hidden charges, which I think we all relatively agree aren't that hidden. Um, I mean, in some respects, doing this is almost potentially going to remove choice <laughs> if it's all yeah. bundled in together. I really couldn't care less about fast track seat selection insurance. <laughs> I've got insurance beyond. So. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. Yeah, yeah. No fair. Yeah, I had, I did mine for for the for my US trip. That that came as a bit of a shock. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Turns out it doesn't pay to be poorly at any point in your life. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> travel in, travel insurance is one of those things that doesn't get cheaper every year you you celebrate your birthday mm, right okay jerry thought yeah <laughs> anyway nev you've got the next story and um this is quite an amusing story if you have a pooch well quite it's on the uh, independent.co.uk it says uh, passenger uh, sorry planes passenger dog lost by delta airlines weeks ago is found hiding in Atlanta airport Aww. a delta passenger's missing dog was found at the Atlanta airport more than 3 weeks after the traveller accused the airline of losing her beloved pet. Uh, the dog named Maya was found hiding near the airport's North Cargo facilities on Saturday, the airport said. The dog allegedly escaped into the airfield of Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, the airport authorities wrote on social media X, formerly Twitter. Uh, Maya was tired but in apparent good health and sent to a vet for a checkup. the airport said, adding that the dog... Uh, is expected to return home soon. The dog had been missing since mid-August when her owner, Paula Rodriguez, was forced to fly back home to the Dominican Republic after being denied entry to the US by the border control officials. After authorities cancelled her visa, Miss Ro uh, Rodriguez had to stay overnight at an airport detention centre where her dog was not allowed. They called a Delta agent who took Maya from me, she previously told CNN. The uh, next day when Miss Rodriguez was waiting for uh, the flight's gate, the dog was nowhere to be found. Uh, she was in tears as she told border officials that she wouldn't board without her dog, but was informed that the officials couldn't have her in the airport for more than 24 hours. She flew home without knowing the whereabouts of Maya. Delta staff later informed that the dog had broken out of her kennel and was last seen on the 18th of August, 
Delta Airlines in a statement previously said that they remained dedicated to finding the dog. Delta teams uh, have been working to locate and re reunite this pet with the customer and re remain in touch with the customer to provide updates, a Delta representative added. Uh, Miss Rod Rodriguez shared the news of her pet's return on Sunday evening with a story on Instagram where she captioned the picture, Maya is coming home. But with lots of extra letters and unnecessary uh, exclamation marks. <laughs> well, uh, Robin Allgood, uh, an Atlanta resident who works to find lost dogs, had put up flyers around the airport for Maya. She said that the dog was found under a rack used to move big cargo containers around the airport. She said that a FedEx employee recognised the dog from the flyers and informed her about the discovery. Uh, she told CBS News that after a wildlife biologist failed to catch Maya with a net, she jumped into action. So I just started scooting on my back under the rack and nobody even knew I was there. And I just reached and grabbed her and then suddenly somebody, somebody said, oh my gosh, she's got her. Uh, after back and forth between Miss Allgood and Delta, the airline said it would facilitate how the owner wants to be reunited, reunited with her dog. A good news story. But yeah, there are lots of questions there, uh, which we probably don't have answers to. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Indeed. They are. Hmm. Pets in planes. I mean, should have had it in the cabin, really. You know, could have been an emotional support. Um, mm. Don't. <laughs> don't, is it? <laughs> Forget for uh, I'd, I'd uh, with the uh, airline that do you work for, Andy. I mean, is is there any form of pet policy other than no? <laughs> uh, no, the answer is just no. Okay, yeah. We, don't, yeah, we don't carry them at all in the hold, in the cabin, nothing. Yeah, unless well, it's not uh, even in the hold. No, no, oh. hmm. yeah. not an option. Interesting. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised to be honest with you. I think the trouble is, is there's such a I don't know. It's the, I mean, there's always a risk with these things, isn't there? I guess, but um, yeah, we're a low cost carrier. We don't we don't do these extra bits. No, no. Very sensible. <laughs> Very sensible. <laughs> so staying with you, Andy. Obviously, we've been talking about lost dogs, but uh, something else was lost here, Andy. Yeah, uh, this is from Yahoo.com. Swiss plane arrives in Spain without a single suitcase on board. Oops. A plane flying from Zurich to Spain this weekend arrived without a single piece of luggage on board. Unbeknownst to the passengers, media reported Sunday, as the airline blamed ground staff shortages. Passengers on the Swiss Airlines flight to the northern Spanish city of Bilbao Saturday evening waited by the conveyor belt for their luggage to appear for over two hours in vain. Swiss Airlines spokesman uh, somebody confirmed that the plane, which Swiss had operated on behalf of Edelweiss Airlines, had taken off with 111 passengers but no baggage on board. Uh, there was a shortage of ground staff, he told AFP, adding that the crew had waited for the situation to be rectified. But after one hour and 16 minutes, the situation was still unchanged and for operational reasons was decided to fly to Bilbao without the luggage. The reason, he explained, was the need to pick up passengers in Bilbao and get the plane back to Zurich before the airport closed for the night. We understand the situation is not favourable for the people involved and of course we are regretting the inconvenience, he said. The pilot had apologised for the delayed takeoff in Zurich, blaming lack of qualified personnel, but said no mention was made of the decision to leave the baggage behind. Now that was a wise choice. Passengers told the paper that no Swiss staff had been on the ground in Bilbao and that they had then waited for over two hours for the luggage before staff from Spanish airline Iberia informed them that the plane had landed with no baggage on board. Our vacation is ruined, said one passenger. Uh, 
Amplum, ma'am, uh, the, the bloke from before, said he couldn't not confirm that passengers had not been informed about the decision to leave the baggage behind in Zurich. We are still analysing the situation to find out what happened exactly and how we can prove, he said. This shouldn't happen. Well, there we go. Sometimes this does happen. Well, yeah. I mean, this this is the thing, though, isn't it? That it's just like... I mean... It's a bit, it's a bit inconvenient. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 I mean, I guess I've not been there, and, and because Nev, you have been here, so perhaps you're, you're more qualified to comment uh, on this yes. than, than many others. But I mean, well, it, it was quite funny at the time that Mrs. Nev and I went to Faro last last year. Uh, we get on the aircraft, we taxi out, and we're off we go. And I'm not joking. On a full A320, we went down the runway like a scalded cat and i'm thinking wow we're obviously doing a, a full power takeoff here no no uh, no d-rated stuff here no no flex and uh yeah we, we got there and it was all great and i said to her just as we were climbing i said guys it feels though we haven't got any bags on board <laughs> and we hadn't right uh, <laughs> although the golfists funnily enough they had all their stuff but yeah. us poor minions uh didn't have any of our stuff well now i'm sure that was um mm. the aircraft i'm no ex expert on a320 aircraft performance but it was quite funny how uh, how quickly we uh, we rotated <laughs> off the runway. <laughs> uh but no and this is before i bought my uh, apple air tags as well so um so but this does happen, uh, I'm afraid, from time to time. So, with, with that in mind, though, Nev, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, you're, the media always picks out what I can only describe as sensationalist headlines. But I mean, I, and there's no doubt that it's definitely an inconvenience to arrive on holiday without. <laughs> your baggage don't get me wrong but i mean we're all told that like if we have medication that we should keep it with us inside the aircraft so obviously you know the life's vitals if you see what i mean like if you know if if like me you've got to take tablets you know morning and afternoon they're they're in your they're in your your hand luggage because you're not an idiot basically so uh, realistically yes it was an inconvenience but presumably it didn't ruin your holiday nev no, and I think the, the airline, you know, at the end of the day, tried to get the, the folks there. You know, that they would much yeah. rather get you there without your bags rather than, you know, delay the flight because then you've got, you know, crewing issues straight away um, and all sorts of other com complexities. Well, you know. if, if they needed the aircraft back in Zurich, they would have just cancelled the flight. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, so true. surely it's yeah. better to get there because Zurich does close. Yeah. Um, I diverted into there last year with a medical emergency and we got on the ground and the actual CEO of the airport came on board and went, we've got 30 minutes to get you out of here. And it's properly closed. They will not let anything depart. Wow. And they did it. They got us turned around and out because we just had to get rid of the very, very sick person, get rid of their bags. And then we were off and out after we topped up the fuel tanks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so Zurich does close. So they, they, in my opinion, they did the right thing. And the pilots definitely did the right thing, not telling their bags weren't on board. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, can you imagine? Can you imagine what the what the poor cabin crew would have had to have been dealing with essentially if that were the yes. you know that that's the thing, isn't it? It's just. Yeah. But this is the thing: is it's like it's like oh my holiday was ruined and all that kind of thing. But I mean, never it didn't ruin your holiday, did it? I mean, you, you just no. Uh, but having said, uh, just uh, going back to the point you made about mm. the cabin crew, um, the only snag with this Apple AirTag business uh, is that. 
I did notice that there was a member of uh, cabin crew being challenged by one of the passengers who was saying, just to say, boy, oh, I don't think my um, think my bag's on board. It seems to be back in the cargo area, you know. Oh, um, no, 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 I'm sure it's okay. So straight away, unfortunately, it puts the cabin crew in a difficult position just at a time when they're trying to get uh, everyone, everyone on the aircraft and um, make their slot. Well, what have they got to do, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it, that that is a problem. But also, it, uh, one... We got to Faro. Of course, the people with Apple uh, Apple Air Tags are going. Uh, I don't think we're going to get the luggage today because it's it's not in the airport. And mm. unfortunately, a couple of members of staff on the ground are going. Oh no no, it'll be on the next carousel. Won't be long. And they just looked at their phone going, well, it won't. At least two and a half hours. <laughs> just yeah, exactly. Looking at what I'm looking at here. Yeah. So anyway, but there you go. So that, that happens. Just to cover Maker's comments there, but if, but if you it can ruin your holiday if you're travelling for a wedding, some kind of uh, family event. If you're sure. travelling for a wedding and you're the bride, don't take your make sure you carry your uh, <laughs> wedding dress, which is what most of them do. Yeah, with and you. ultimately at the end of the day, you're there. You're there for the mm. event. Does it really matter what you're wearing? Everybody's going to understand absolutely. it's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, well, you know, maybe if you're going to wear shorts, make sure you wear smart shorts rather than you know, your, <laughs> your, you know, you. I just wear your suit. Just wear yeah. your suit. Wear your yeah. suit on the platform. <laughs> Okay. Do, do you, when you when you travel with Mrs. Nev, Nev, do you do that thing in half and half? You put half in one case and half in the other. So if you lose no, one case, no, you still got. You don't do all that. Who, who in their right mind would do that? You're going to tell me oh, you just, do now. Do you, Carlos? No? Yeah, we well we do. We always pack sort of half in half in each case. So if we do get there and one case is missing, we've always got a change of something. And you yeah. can wear. Um, Mrs. Stebbing's underwear. If, if well, I mean, I could, I could wear. Yeah, wear <laughs> I'm glad you said it, Nev. Not me. <laughs> one, one of Gemma's summer outfits I could wear, I suppose. Yeah, around the pool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think right. it would. I mean, you know, I mean, it's in the nicest possible way. She's quite a bit smaller than you. I don't think it'll be decent for a start. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, on be quite, Mr. Be quite the image. <laughs> I've got quite the image in my head now. I don't, I don't know if I can carry on with the show. I'm, <clears> I'm going for a lie down now. <laughs> anyway, let's let's go back to serious aviation talk now with this next story for oh, Nev. Must we? And uh, Nev, <laughs> I'm guessing that uh, being the person who travels a lot uh, on aircraft, this is one person you wouldn't want to be sitting next to. Uh oh. Yeah, well, we're talking about you know animals on flights, aren't we? And it's this is on the New Zealand Herald. Um, and it says that uh, two Kiwi travellers are seeking compensation after being sat cheek by, by jowl for a 13-hour flight next to a flatulent dog. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and husband Warren from Wellington were flying with Singapore Airlines from Paris to Singapore's Changi Airport in June when they learned that they would be sharing the journey with a congested bulldog. <laughs> Saying that they had not been warned of the pet ahead of travel, the press is said that they first noticed the dog's <laughs> heavy, fragrant snorting. Uh, the next line is my favourite. I don't think you could have made this next line up. I thought it was my husband's phone. <laughs> <laughs> but we looked down. <laughs> we looked down. <laughs> <laughs> I'd realised it was the dog breathing, Jill said. Hold it together, Nev. Hold it together. 
like, would you like me to carry on then? <laughs> would, you, would you mind, Eddie? I'm not going to get to yeah, this. Yeah, no problem. Um, having booked a premium economy fare, it expected additional comfort, not to spend the trip at a cocktail of dog fart, bad breath and saliva. Bill said at one point her husband, who was wearing shorts, had his legs smeared with dog slobber. Airline crew explained that the dog was travelling as a, here we go, support animal with its owner, who was seated in the window. It could not be moved for risk of the animal getting into the aisle and under the catering trolley wheels. As the flight was fully booked, the passengers could only be offered alternative seats in economy class. After initially refusing the downgraded seats, they eventually moved midway through the 13-hour flight. The passengers who had bought their fare via Air New Zealand said they were offered travel vouchers, but their demands for a refund have not yet been addressed. Um, I think that's pretty much enough for that one. Yeah, I, th- I think we've covered everything we need to cover on that. I mean, yeah. It's obviously a slow news week, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, but what, do, what does her husband have on his phone? That's what I'm <laughs> What app is he using? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, I thought dear. it was my husband's phone. Uh, I, perhaps it's like, you know, like in the pocket type thing, vibrating, you know, at, at 30,000 feet because uh, somehow they've got a I signal mean, or something. Ha- having, having a dad who has two dogs, fairly large dogs, I know that it can be troublesome um right and obviously alfie i'd imagine is you know see now weirdly alfie doesn't oh really yeah 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 it's like it, it, well, i mean well that's not true he does but it's extreme it's extremely where a, a, a extremely rare event but to be fair when he does it is award-winning there's no two, there's no two ways about it oh jeez, quite the experience uh but uh yeah it's i need uh, this red wine do you? Okay. Hang on, you've gone from beer to grape and grain. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, silly sorry. boy. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> um, anyway, swiftly, moving swiftly on, um, as we do. Right. Um, okay. Obviously, we've got Nev's, Nev's gone, coming up ne- soon. Nev's so gone for panic. a lie down, by the way, to compose himself. <laughs> to the next story this week, which uh, obviously is one of the biggest stories to hit uh, the aviation news feeds this week. And obviously, it wouldn't be... Uh, right, if we didn't have Andy on the show to discuss uh, this story, Andy. Yes, so this one's uh, from the BBC. Russian airliner forced to land in open field. Uh, a Russian airliner carrying 170 people was forced to crash land in a field after hydraulics failure. No one was injured in the emergency, which left the Ural Airlines Airbus A320 stranded next to a forest in the uh, Novosibirsk region of Siberia. Ural said the pilot selected the landing site after the jet's hydraulic systems failed while approaching Omsk. The incident sparked denials from the airline that was unable to service its planes due to sanctions on Russia. Pictures showed the plane stranded in open field, its emergency, well, its doors open and ramps, well, it's the slides that are down and people milling around. Russia's aviation agency said that the unscheduled landing, that's one way of putting it, (laughs) happened in the early hours of Tuesday. It added that the landing point had been selected from the air uh, near the village of Kamenka. None of the passengers had sought medical aid, it added. Um, the aviation agency said it was investigating the emergency landing and Ural said the crew had been suspended until the investigation was complete. Uh, Sergei Skuratov, the head of Ural Airlines, said that one of the plane's hydraulic systems failed as it flew to Omsk from Sochi on the Black Sea coast. He denied that the plane had caught fire, saying the apparent scorch marks above one of the wings seen in the pictures on social media was just dirt. Yeah, it is. 
Uh, a catastrophic failure of a plane's hydraulic system can lead to a loss of flight control. However, Russian aviation experts said there are backup systems and dispute the crew's decision to make the landing. Uh, there are three hydraulic systems, one electric. Okay. Uh, a pilot told uh, a Russian website of the A320 there's no need to land the plane in a field. He added the decision endangered the lives of those on board and on the ground. The emergency landing comes as Russian Airlines face difficulty obtaining spare parts due to Western sanctions on Moscow over its offensive in Ukraine. In March, the Russian media outlet Vedomosti quoted Ural Airline official Igor Podubny, God, these are difficult names tonight, as saying that it had about three months before they began breaking up planes for parts. However, he maintained that all of the airline's planes were serviced with genuine parts. We'll never allow an incorrect spare part to be used, he said. It's difficult with a fight, but all of the spare parts used in our aircraft are certified. I stake my head on it. Uh, the Interfax agency reported that the crashed A320 was about 20 years old and had an airworthiness certificate to the end of next year. Uh, Reuters reported in August that Ural Airlines and other Russian airlines had managed to bypass Western sanctions on several occasions using middlemen in countries including China and the UAE that do not support the sanctions. And then another A321 from Ural was forced to land in a field outside of Moscow in 2019 after being hit by uh, gulls during takeoff. Around 70 of the 230 people on board were injured. Um, and there's an interesting bit from the Av Herald as well that just said it was making an approach to runway 07, which has a length of 2,500 metres. That figure's important for what I'll come on to later. Uh, when the crew initiated a go-around from about uh, 2,000 feet due to a hydraulics failure. The aircraft climbed to flight level 180 and diverted to Novosibirsk, uh, about Bless 320 you. nautical miles east. So that's like half the length of the UK. At a speed of 260 wow. knots over the ground, however, need to perform a forced landing on an open field. Um, yeah, this is very... I mean, the great thing is there were no injuries. Uh, it landed on its wheels, um, and they did quite a tidy job. I think they'll probably break it up where it is, though, because for starters, they need the spare parts. Um, and it's getting on a bit now, 20 years old. But what do you think? Mm. There was no approach plates for that field, presumably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it looks fairly intact. I mean, it's... I, I don't know. I, I mean, for, again, for, uh, this is not na my naivety here, so I apologise, Andy, if the question I'm about to ask is a very stupid one. Um, but I don't feel like somebody who's flown this plane a lot for example and i'm assuming that the person in charge of this particular aircraft was would have chosen a field unless they're really if you know because it mentioned about backup systems and all that kind of thing i i i well the, the I, 320's got three hydraulic systems yeah it's got a green system and it's reported that the green system failed it's got a blue system it's got a yellow system the yellow system but the, the blue system is powered by an electric pump. The yellow system is normally powered by engine two, but it can be powered by an electric pump. And engine one is powered by... Sorry, uh, the green system is powered by engine one. The green and the yellow can power each other via a power transfer unit. So there's mountains of redundancy in there. Um, yeah. Looking at the pictures, the gear doors were open. So that would say that the green system had an issue because once the gear's down and, say, the system empties itself, then you can't get it back up or close the doors and this is where the decision for the diversion comes in um you get fuel penalties depending on f certain failures 
So if it was just a green system failure, you have between, and Airbus can't quantify an exact figure, it says between 0% and 9% extra fuel to be used. Right. Because the spoilers on the wing, um, two of them, one and five I think it is on the green system, are no longer powered. So because of the way lift works, those spoilers will lift up into the airflow as you increase speed. So they'll create drag and you'll burn more fuel. Right. If the if you've got a gear issue and say you've got the gear up but the doors won't close, that's a fifteen percent extra fuel burn. Okay. But if you've got the gear stuck down and the doors won't close, then it's a hundred and eighty percent extra fuel. So essentially, it's th it's three times more fuel burn than you'd normally expect, which will limit range Ma massively. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I don't know because the information is so sketchy that's coming out. Yeah. In my opinion, it's probably the gear was stuck down or there was a lot in the airflow because if they had four tons, as they said they did, mm. that should have easily have got them to the diversion. Right. But going back to his original decision to divert because he had a green hydraulic system failure, I ran some calculations, because I'm a nerd, <laughs> based on the same aircraft type, yeah. roughly, at maximum landing weight, normally... It would only need 1,800 metres to land in using okay. low water brake, right? This runway was 2,500 metres. That's a factored landing distance as well, so there's a bit of, there's a bit of fat in there mm -hmm. for the regulations. Yeah. With a green system failure, you can't use the auto brake anymore, so you use manual brakes, which means you can get on the brakes immediately once you touch down. The dis landing distance for that is only 1,500 metres, and that's okay. factored as well. So they'd still have over a kilometre of runway left. Right. I have no idea why he decided, and again, the information's very sketchy, we don't know. He went around at 2,000 feet and then just decided to go somewhere else without even running through what his options were at that airfield. There was no problem with the runways. There's two runways there as well, at least. Zero 06 is even longer. There's nearly 3,000, like 10,000 feet of runway. So 3,000 metres, 10,000 feet of runway. So he had plenty of options here. Um, it seems like madness to me to start trogging off halfway across Siberia, which mm. is pretty sparse, um, and then realising, oh no, we're burning a lot more fuel than we thought, we can't turn back the other airfield, we're just going to have to put it in a field. I think the other thing is there is, so what you're saying really is, is a single channel hydraulic failure of any of those should it's not best. result in putting it down in the field. Not at all. You still yeah. have full control over the aircraft. Uh, every, syst every control surface, bar spoilers one and five, is powered. Mm. Um, the slats and flaps will be slow because you've lost one of the systems on each one. Oh, sorry. No, the uh, slats will be slow. Flaps will be fine. And um, you've got a landing gear issue as well. But you've also got a separate alternate braking system on the yellow system that will perform the same function as the normal brake system on the green system. So there's no reason why they needed to go and trog off across the country with bits hanging down. So if if the, again if, if if so is obviously again uh, sorry about this is again probably a stupid system. So you're mentioning the three different um, uh, like coloured hydraulic systems. There, do they have their own um, uh, hydraulic fluid? Are they literally yes. separate? They're all systems? separate systems, right? So if you um, lost, so say like a, a hose burst and you lost all of the hydraulic fluid for example yes the other two systems would still work independently they're not relying on pressure from the green system for example nope and the power transfer unit only transfers actual power it, it's it's black right. magic i don't understand how it works still but it doesn't transfer fluid 
right. just the pressure. Okay. Um, so, and it looks like, I, I think they landed with a bit of fuel in the tanks because looking at the photos, the Ram Air Turbine has not been deployed, which would come out if it was completely out of fuel. Okay. Um, but it must have been a minimal amount of fuel left in. Gosh. But I mean, they did a very good job of a, a rough field yeah. landing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as I say, I mean, the only thing they did good. I mean, the, 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 from the, certainly from the photographs, the damage to the aircraft is relatively minimal. Yeah, yeah. but you won't be able to get it out of there. They'll no. have to chop it up in situ. Yeah, true. Yeah. So to summarise my thoughts, they could have landed at that airfield and to just immediately start heading off is pretty bad decision-making, situational awareness. Uh, it, it's a pretty messy mm. situation. Yeah, lucky that it wasn't more serious then by the sound of it. Very lucky. Yeah, in fact, I think Pip's right. I think they have already chopped it up. I think it's already been chopped apart and taken away. Gosh, blimey. <laughs> they didn't hang about, did they? No. no. So wow. there we go. It... Is that the kind of info you wanted? Uh, very very good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank very you. Good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I apologise for my dumb questions, but it's... Uh... No, they're not no, dumb at all. Good. They're not dumb at all. It's an, it's an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting subject for... for perhaps all the wrong reasons but uh, just yeah. just wondering yeah. if any of the rumors are true uh, carlos that you were spotted in the area with an angle grinder mm, no, <laughs> that, that wouldn't surprise me at all i'll be honest with you if he drops his green screen there's a huge ural airline <laughs> sound behind him that is absolutely yeah uh, yeah indeed <clears throat> oh he's broken his camera now no, oh dear here now. we go anyway <laughs> so moving swiftly on to another story that involves well Another story that involves yet another uh, Airbus, actually. Oh, and, um, and some of the pictures that were on social media of this just baffled my absolute mind. Uh, it comes from the straightstimes.com. And uh, engine mechanical failure may have caused Air China's aircraft to emergency, have emergency landing. Uh, an engine mechanical failure may have been behind the fire that forced an Air China flight from Chengdu in Sichuan province to make an emergency landing in Singapore uh, on Sunday. According to the airline's initial assessment, the incident uh, on China's flag carrier said in a post on Chinese social media platform Weibo at 11.05am on Sunday, declared an emergency, requested a priority landing at Changi Airport at around 4pm after reporting smoke in the plane's forward cargo hold and lavatory. After the aircraft landed at Changi's Airport Runway 3 at around 4.15pm, the aircraft's emergency slides were deployed for passengers to evacuate. Air China said 146 passengers on board were cooperative, which allowed for a successful evacuation. The airport emergency services responded immediately with, to the incident and put the fire out in the left-hand side engine at around 4.25. Air China said in its post, with the assistance of Changi Airport, work to reaccommodate passengers was completed and they sincerely apologised for the or to the uh, affected passengers. The emergency landing led to one of the airport's runways at Changi being closed for almost three hours. This delayed flights leaving and arriving at the airport, and one aircraft was diverted to Batam, Indonesia, during the runway's closure. The group didn't say how many other flights were affected by the incident, but nine passengers on board the Air China flight sustained minor injuries related to smoke inhalation and abrasions during evacuation. Singapore's Transport Safety in, uh, Investigation Bureau is investigating the incident and has contacted its Chinese counterpart, which will help with the probe. The Air China flight was operated with an Airbus A320neo uh, that uh, was uh, just more than four years old. 
Uh, registered Bravo 305 Juliet, the aircraft powered by Pratt & Whitney PW1100G engines, uh, which have been plagued by real, uh, real, reliability even problems that have forced airlines to ground these aircraft in the past. Now, one of the pictures that I saw on social media when this story broke um, earlier on in the week, and I think it's the first picture that I think is in, I think Matt put up there, it's on the screen now, is that there is still visible flames yeah, I, coming I from the that. engine, yet they are mm. evacuating <clears throat> using that slide over the overwing, obviously, uh, emergency exits down to where that engine... Now, Andy, um, yes. your thoughts? Well, a fire extinguisher won't put a fire out in the tailpipe, uh, which is where that looks like it is. So you could discharge both bottles, and they just go down the, the outside. They don't actually put a tailpipe fire out. It's difficult. You don't get a warning for a tailpipe fire, which there is a procedure basically just to run air through it and try and blow it out and cut the fuel off. But if it's not, if it's not been told, if you haven't been told that you've got a tailpipe fire, then um, you don't know you've got one. I'm guessing the main reason for this evacuation was the smoke. Um, it does say there that smoke was in the cargo hold and the forward and then the toilet, and that'll be because depending on how they have the air routed, especially if they've got a cargo heat system in place. Um, some do, some don't. Uh, it's a customer option. All the air, I mean, the, the cargo holds are pressurized as well. Um, so the air comes from the engines through the uh, bleed system into the manifold and into the air conditioning pack. So if the air is contaminated, which it probably will be in that case, then you will get smoke uh, inside. And it, it can be a bit confusing, really, if you're getting cargo smoke and lav smoke because you will get a detector warning for both in the flight deck um for the crew that that can be a bit of a confusion is it a cargo fire is it the engine is it what so yeah i mean you can't see very well inside the tailpipe if you stood alongside the engine so if you look out the window it wouldn't have looked like it's on fire and actually, that for it doesn't look like it looks more like it's a residual fire in there more than anything. Probably some uh, a seal might have gone because the the PW eleven hundred G has had a lot of problems in the past with seal issues. Um, and I think it was Spirit Airlines who bought a lot of them, had them grounded for a very long time with that engine. So it could have been something to do with that. So, so I. I with what you're saying there, Andy, as you say, literally, that they deployed all slides because, to the best of their knowledge, at the time of deploying the slides, they were unaware, if you like, that there was still a residual fire in place. Yeah, and I think in that picture as well, there's a fire engine in front of the engine. They won't be able to see that that tailpipe has those flames in it at that point. So they might have spoken to the crew and said, no, we can't see any fire. Right, yeah. There was a website that I saw, and I can't remember, I wish I'd... Uh, screenshotted it actually uh, where someone says oh uh, the crew did a fantastic job um, using the afterburners on landing <laughs> uh, in all seriousness I'm going really that's a story for the military segment there oh, no. that fire will probably just burn itself out because there will just be residual bits of it's oil just and fuel lubricants like, around yeah. there yeah yeah. Once they've shut down the engines, there's no more fuel going in. All the cocks are closed. Language. <laughs> uh, <anyway>. <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite a busy week, really, this week, Indeed, isn't it? With, yes. uh, with mm. Airbus aircraft. Well, one, yeah. one could argue not Airbus's finest, 
shall we say. Although, yeah. actually, they're grabbing the headlines for all the wrong reasons because it's not necessarily yeah. their fault. It's not the it? aircraft. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's not the aircraft. <laughs> no, no, indeed. It's, uh, yeah, the people, yeah, the, anyway. Those don't, you, don't you be slagging off the solid platform that is the Airbus A320 family, all right? <laughs> My apologies. Yes. I, I take it all back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So That's me told off. Uh, <laughs> that is the commercial news uh, for this week. Thanks uh, for your input, and it's been great to obviously have your input on the stories this week because it has been, a, as we said, a busy week this week. Uh, Going to say a quick hello to Ray Davis, who's joined us in the chat room all the way over in Australia. He's um, He must be up very early. Is early? Yeah, must be early in the morning for uh, Ray. Hello to you, Ray. Uh, good to see you in there. Also, Sturman's joined us as well, so hello to you. So it's caption this just for fun time uh, before we do the military news. Uh, the picture was uploaded this week on our Facebook page. And, uh, well, it's, it's, it's been... I don't know whether whether everyone missed it this week, Nev. I think it was, there was a few... Um... Yeah, well, the ones we did get were very funny, I thought. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we had our caption is just for fun picture this week. And perhaps we'll get a few comments in the chat room like we normally do. But uh, Matt will pop up on the screen. And this week uh, it is involving a military subject. So it's a uh, – Jonathan Warren will probably know what this aircraft is. I imagine he is in the chat room. Uh, And it is a picture of a fighter jet with the pilot uh, who is ejecting from the air. I think it's a a, co-pilot ejecting from there or the navigator uh, with a – what looks like a – Surface-to-air missile uh, (laughs) that's uh, going to join him very swiftly uh, (laughs) in his ejection seat. Indeed. Uh, But we had some comments in. First one's from Neil. He says, uh, Nev shoots himself in the foot when he's told he's in seat F4. F4? Is is that even a thing? I think that's the the aircraft. Oh, oh, right. (laughs) Oh, wait. Sorry. Shut up, Smith. Who's up next, uh, Nev? (laughs) Uh, John says the US Air Force denied that they are trialling a kamikaze aircraft defence system. <laughs> okay. Staying with John Luke for this one, Captain Mannering said at Board of Inquiry that Jones' last words before ejecting were they don't like it like it up 'em, Captain. <laughs> uh, do you want to take the next one, Nick? Or Andy? Andy? Well, I'll do one? Nick, yeah, because this one's from Nick. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, It was at this point that the lieutenant realised that the Vindaloo had been a step too far. (laughs) Toilet roll in the freezer job, that one. Yeah. Uh, In the uh, the chat room, uh, what we got here in the chat room? Uh, Sturman says the pilot was sweating so bad the heat seeker changed its course. Very good. Very, very technical there. (laughs) Uh, Dirk S says shouldn't have eaten that curry earlier. Uh, uh, my man Micah says pilot to Rio he's on your six good one from Zeus in there yeah what's that one Nick um, must have eaten at the same place as last week's Delta diarrhea passenger. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Oh. Uh, Captain Cruz, uh, he says, uh, <laughs> flatulent pl- pilot emanating higher heat-seeking footprint than the afterburner phantom. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I don't think we can see it, Dirk Essers, but it is very funny. <laughs> I'll pop it on the screen. Uh, there you go. You can, anybody who can pronounce that, you're, you're braver than me. Uh, 
I like I like I like Bill's one in the chat room. He's just popped in there. Prototype of the new system to handle obnoxious passengers has its first <laughs> successful <laughs> test. <laughs> Yes, quite. Uh, there we go. It's <laughs> well done. Thanks for Ch all that. Chat room to the rescue there. Chat, chat room to the rescue. rescue. Thanks yeah, everyone. Don't forget, indeed. it will be uh, back on our Facebook page with a new picture next Wednesday. So make sure you keep your eyes on our social media if you don't already. Keep an eye on there for more caption this. Thanks, everyone. Uh, time for some military news. But don't forget, after the military news, we have got our big book giveaway. So, uh, Nev, are you ready? Yes, definitely. Let's go. Watch up, buggies, one, three, five, fifty, angels, sixteen, three, four, zero. Okay. And the first military news story of the week from the bbc.co.uk website. And uh, rogue Russian pilot tried to shoot down RAF aircraft in 2022. Well, obviously he didn't, otherwise we'd be in a completely different situation to what we're in now. Uh, a Russian pilot tried to shoot down an RAF surveillance aircraft after believing he had permission to fire. The BBC has learned. The pilot fired two missiles, first of which missed rather than malfunction, as claimed at the time. And Russia claimed the incident in last September was caused by a technical malfunction. I think that uh, dog's been there again on that plane again, hasn't he? Uh, the UK's Ministry of Defence publicly accepted the Russian, Russians' explanation, but now three senior Western defence sources with knowledge of the incident have told the BBC that Russian communications intercepted by the Royal Air Force RC-135 rivet joint aircraft uh, give a very different account from the official version. The aircraft, with a crew of 30... The RAF aircraft was flying a surveillance mission over the Black Sea in international airspace on the 29th of September last year when it encountered two Russian Sukhoi-27 fighter jets. The intercepted uh, communications show that one of the Russian pilots thought he had been given permission to target the British aircraft following an ambiguous command by a Russian ground station. However, the second Russian pilot did not hear that. He remonstrated and swore at his wingman when he fired the first missile. The rivet joint is loaded with sensors to intercept communications, and the RAF crew would have been able to listen in to the incident, which would have resulted in their own deaths. The MOD... Uh, did not release details of those communications. But responding to the new revelations, the MOD spokesperson said that our intent has always been to protect the safety of our operations and avoid unnecessary escalation and inform the public and international community. The two Russian Su-27s approached the aircraft, apparently, uh, and received a communication from their ground station controller. One Western source told the BBC the words they received were to the effect of, you have the target. This ambiguous language was interpreted by one of the Russian pilots as permission to fire. Same very like, do they? But anyway, the loose language appears to have shown a high degree of unprofessionalism by those involved, sources said. In the contrast, NATO pilots use very precise language when asking for advice and receiving permission to fire. 
The Russian pilot released an air-to-air missile, which successfully launched, but failed to lock onto the target. The BBC was told it was not a it was not a miss, but a, or it was a miss, but not a malfunction. Uh, defense sources told the BBC that a row then broke out between the two Russian pilots, and the pilot of the second Su-27 did not think they had been given permission to fire. He said to have sworn at his comrade, effectively asking him what he thought he was doing. Yet the first pilot still released another missile. They said we've been told the second missile simply fell from the wing, suggesting the pipe, the weapon either did malfunction or that the launch was aborted. Now the story does go on, but it does, you know, after what's been happening over the last obviously um, few months, because there's been a few interceptions by the Royal Air Force uh, with Russian aircraft sort of heading to or coming towards the NATO airspace. It does beg the question, that what what is, you know, is any matter of time before someone presses the button and does something silly? That that could have been the start of a of war. Mm. That's nasty. You know, you've got the 135 is not a small aircraft, you know, it's based on the um based on the 707. It's, you know, it's a a big aircraft with lots of personnel on board, Royal Air Force and, personnel. And you can't fire on something like that in peacetime that can't defend itself. Exactly. Yeah. Not ideal. <laughs> no. Uh, Nev, would you like the next one? Yes, I will. Um, this uh, is on the... Oh, what website's it on? Um, Drive.com. It is, yes. Drive.com. Um, it says that the uh, latest UK drone programme se seeks to field a high-performance uncrewed aerial system, UAS, that will be able to fly autonomously alongside crewed aircraft as well as operate in swarms. Uh, the new drone, named Jackdaw, after a member of the Corvid family of birds, is expected to take on a wide variety of missions and to do all this at a low enough cost that commanders will consider it d disposable, meaning that they are willing to sacrifice it uh, in contested environments. Uh, the Jackdaw programme was announced by Kinetic, the uh, UK defence technology company that emerged from the government's secretive Defence Evaluation and Research Agency. Kinetic uh, unveiled a model of the drone and provided details and artist concept at the Defence and Security Equipment International Trade Show in London. What's immediately interesting about the Jackdaw is that it uh, leveraged some of, the, some of the same kind of low-cost thinking that led to the concept of attributable drones in the United States in particular. Uh, Tributal is a normally taken to refer to a drone that's inexpensive enough that it can be used on high-risk missions that it is not likely to return from, whilst also being capable enough to be relevant for those missions. Uh, more recently, however, the US Air Force in particular has stepped back from this term and begun to describe lower-cost drones in terms of affordable mass, a concept that uh, has been covered in the past. And Kinetic also stresses that the Jackdaw is designed to be uh, reusable as well. Um, well, Kinetic 2 also described the Jackdaw in its current form as providing significant and affordable combat mass and battle space capabilities, which would seem to directly reflect current US Air Force thinking. As for being disposable, here it seems that Kinetic is aiming to build upon the kind of low-cost drone designs that it already produces for use as aerial targets like the Banshee series. 
Uh, in broad terms, the Jackdaw concept also looks similar to the jet-powered Banshee 80 series with its cropped delta wing and single tail fin. However, rather than uh, engines in the fuselage, the Jackdaw features a pair of engines uh, mounted externally on the rear of the fuselage. Uh, like the Banshee, the Jackdaw will also be used for training both as an airborne decoy and for threat representation, mimicking other potential hostile platforms, including swarming threats and sophisticated uh, threat payloads. Quite a lot to this story, uh, but that's uh, interesting isn't it, that they, they are talking about uh, using these as not quite disposable, but that's effectively what, what would happen if they don't expect to get the, um, the drone back at the end of the, uh, end of the mission. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. While you've been reading that story, Nev, I've been trying to look, because it says it's a low-cost um, platform, you know, low-cost uh, uh, you know, design aircraft for to use. I can't find anywhere that tells me how much this actually does cost <laughs> to, to manufacture, because I bet it's more than, you know, nine ninety nine. It'll still yeah. be cheaper than an F-35 or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. True, yeah. I, I just can't be. find anywhere that says how much these are, these are um, how much these cost. State secrets. Mm. Very true. But yeah, you're probably right. It probably is less than a, the cost of an F-35. Yeah, there's quite a lot to that story, so I guess we'll put a link to this in the, uh, in the show notes uh, anyway for, for the podcast, because it, there's, there's quite a lot of reading there, and um, uh, we're going into details that... I really don't know much about, so... Come um, on, though! To, to read it for oh, yeah. <laughs> Air Force has received its first EC-37B Compass Call electronic warfare aircraft from contractors BAE Systems and L3 Harris Technologies industrial officials announced Tuesday. BAE Systems said in a release that the Air Force will start combined developmental and operational testing for this Compass Call, the first of ten aircraft planned for the Air Force. Uh, the new EC-37B fleet will replace Air Combat Command's decades-old EC-130 aircraft, which the service is now retiring. BAE builds the electronic attack components of the new Compass Call in Hudson, New Hampshire, and L3 integrates that mission-specific hardware into a Gulfstream G550 business jet in its facilities in uh, Waco, Texas. It's Waco, isn't it? The Compass Corps will conduct a variety of electronic warfare missions to jam enemy signals, including communications, radar, and navigation systems. BAE said this will include suppressing enemy air defenders by blocking their ability to transmit information between weapon systems and command and control networks. In a roundtable at the Air and Space Forces Association's Airspace and Cyber Conference, that is a mouthful, uh, ACC Commander General Mark Kelly said the EC-37B's jamming capabilities will protect friendly ships and aircraft from enemy attack and allow them to get closer to their targets. The EC-37B's mission and capabilities won't be wildly different from the EC-130, Kelly said, especially since the Air Force updated the old Compass Call's capabilities. But the altitude and speed improvements that come with the new aircraft will make it a considerable step up from its predecessor, Kelly said. Uh, the EC-130 has a ceiling of 25,000 feet. It can fly at up to 300 miles per hour, whereas the G-550 can fly past 40,000 feet and nearly twice that speed, which an L-3 Harris executive in 2021 said would allow the aircraft to be able to target a greater range of enemy activities. Uh, the EC-130 
Also is worn out, Kelly said, and the Air Force needs the EC-37 yesterday. There comes a point of every piece of equipment's lifespan, we've squeezed every last drop of combat capability out of it. BAE would not say exactly what day and when aware sorry the first new compass call was delivered the air force did not immediately respond to a request for more information on the delivery kelly said the ec-37 testing will primarily focus on making sure the integration of the mission systems is working correctly since the gulfstream airframe uh, it is built from is known to be a solid aircraft that will include making sure the new compass call systems are talking to each other at the right time and that its jamming capabilities are functioning and not straining the plane's environmental systems when we dial up the jamming power or ask for a specific waveform, that waveform needs to come out in the exact, uh, in exactly the amount of ramp and power and frequency we asked for, Kelly said. Kelly said he doesn't see the Air Force planning, uh, sorry, Air Force's planned drone wingman or collaborative combat aircraft, some of which might be able to conduct electronic warfare operations as something that could eventually replace the Compass call. Instead, he said, CCAs will complement the Compass call fleet along with F-35s, F-15EX's own EW capabilities. I'm just saying acronyms now, I don't even understand. <laughs> However, he warned that the Air Force needs to make sure that these different platforms operate in the same airspace and that they don't inadvertently interfere with each other. It's all going to merge together and they have to operate and, oh, by the way, let's be sure they don't electronically fratricide on each other. Kelly said. And fratricide, uh, that's to kill one's brother or sister. There we go. I never knew that. Really? Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But then, well, you know, why wouldn't you, to be fair? Why would you know, I guess? I, I, just, I just think it, it looks like a, the picture, obviously, that we've got with the uh, with the story there. It just, um, obviously, it the aircraft it's based on the G550. It's like it's like someone's sort of like gone and signed gone you know, blown blown the sides out. It's had a pressurization issue. Yeah, it's, it is, yeah. Looks it looks more, good though. It even looks more it like it looks a bit like they fitted a stand up paddle board to the side of it. <laughs> <laughs> well quite. <laughs> it's off down your neck of the uh, country, uh, Nick. Wanna do some uh, surfing. Yeah, it's very popular at the moment. Yeah, it's all the rage. All the rage. Lovely part of the country where Nick comes from, though. I know. Uh, Theaviationist.com is the next one. And um, Boeing's Phantom Works. This will be one for Jonathan Warner. He loves all his um, experimental aircraft. Boeing's Phantom Works shows a sixth-generation fighter aircraft design. This looks very nice, although it's missing a vital part of the airframe at the rear. I'm just anyway. Uh, a video recently published by Boeing shows work being done by the Phantom Works division to develop next-generation aircraft for the future air dominance. In addition to the unmanned Phantom Ray MQ-25 Stingray, uh, the MQ-28 Ghost Bat, uh, the video shows a possible sixth-gen uh, manned fighter aircraft design. The new design can be seen for just a few seconds in the video without additional info for it. And while we can't exclude the possibility of this being just another no, uh, notional stand-in design for the sixth-generation air-dominance manned fighter, we can notice some similarities with the design uh, showcased by other constructors. Actually, according to some sources, the one included in the clip is a recently modified version of an existing sixth-generation concept, but they couldn't verify it. 
whatever the shape of the aircraft, it's extremely interesting. I don't know whether you've got the picture, have you, Matt, of the um, the aircraft in question? No? There we go. There we go. The aircraft appears to be, and even Matt would notice this, appears to be tailless. Huh? With a cranked oh, wing Oh, it hasn't got one of those pokey things up at the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, that, is that what you mean? Uh, with a cranked wing design, those engines are fed by two inlets positioned just uh, behind the cockpit uh, on top of the fuselage. Design shown is uh, while showcasing digital engineering and production systems for a quicker development, customization, production and fielding of the next generation aircraft. The 3D models in the video might just be representative of the kind of work being done behind the scenes for the highly secretive NGAD program or NGAD. However, they once again demonstrate the sixth generation aircraft that will take full advantage of the most recent technologies, adopting innovative and uncommon design choices focused on maximum efficiency, functionality of the final product. Now, that's back the question. Where is the tail fin? Where, where's the rudder? Andy, you're, you're our resident uh, commercial airline pilot here, you know. <laughs> yeah, what you're... The this is grey stuff. Um, yeah, he has a point. I mean, I mean you, you can fly anything with computers. I mean, the Typhoon, if the computers fail, it'll crash. <laughs> it's inherently unstable. Um, True that. So this could be the same sort of thing. It must be, well, it must be controllable. I mean, it is only a computer graphic as well, but I guess they've modelled it. Uh, I like Dirk Esther. It uses flapper rudder rudderons. Flapper what 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 is? Flapper rudderons. Uh, bless you. Yeah, um, it, it's an interesting concept. I mean, Mark Priestley says that looks seriously unstable. True that. It really does. And uh, then, Jonathan Warner I... says they'll probably use clamshells like the B fifty uh, B twos. Yeah. yeah, of course that flies without uh, a tailpiece, doesn't it? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not the B-52. So the, B, the B-2. The B-2 flies B2. without yeah. uh, without a tail. It's just one big wing, really. So, uh, yes. Pip, Pip's in the chat room. He comes up with a very credible answer. <laughs> uh, he says the tail is right there, but it's disguised as a cloud. Ah, uh, didn't 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 see that. I mean, he's actually. <laughs> It's actually quite... It does actually look like it is disguised as a cloud. Yeah, okay. Uh, Maybe they accidentally photoshopped it out. Well, yes, quite. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> see that? See, um, Paul Trick has got the right, the right thoughts in the chat room. You know, what we need to have in the military uh, with aircraft is a form of cloaking device. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I mean, he has a point. You know, the Klingons have it, you know. Ah, oh, dear. Oh, no, they're not, okay. they're not real, Carlos. Oh, don't destroy my world, Andy. Honestly. <clears throat> Matt, now, come on. You're, a, you're as much of a Trekkie as don't, I am. Don't bring me into this. <laughs> you have your own fight. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hopefully, fingers crossed, 
Our Monday will be back next week for the military segment of the show. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, he'll be back. Is, it, is it in my contract I'm not allowed on with him now? Because he's never here when I'm on. <laughs> sure, yes, I've just noticed that. Yes, there's, there's been a very complicated behind-the-scenes negotiation between mm. Dev and Armando. Uh, <laughs> quite, indeed. So, next part of the show, Nev is, of course, the part of the show where we like to give away free stuff to listeners, isn't it, Nev? Yeah, we do. And uh, the book quiz from last week, uh, the prize is going to be uh, flying the Airbus A380, uh, written by Captain Jib Vogel. Uh, looks like a very good book. I think you've um, read it, Carlos, haven't you already? I have, yeah. I'm fully versed in flying this aircraft now. I can literally Excellent. jump into the seat of an, of an A380, press the takeoff button, and mm. uh, get airborne. Pity it's out of production, but there we are. That's are you happened. sure you read the right book? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean. To be fair, Andy, this 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 book, look, literally, look here. You go. It's just one page. That's it. <laughs> flying the A380. It's, it's as easy as that. <laughs> well, okay. the question was... How to win friends and influence people, I think, yeah, we're learning I today. Uh, <laughs> so it was a very simple question. Who was the launch customer for the Airbus A380? And the answer is, or was, Singapore Airlines. And we had a lot of people with the correct answer, as you can imagine. So I've got the, the hat here with the correct answers in... Oh, I should have a rummage around. Let's see. Uh, What's the hat of choice this week, Nev? Uh, it's uh, oh, another Airbus uh, A350XWB. So, uh, what's that? Big Airbus theme. There must be a good quality a... hat. I'm, really well, good know, quality. Yeah, quite. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, right. Let's have a look and see who has oh, won. Suspenseful music. I know. Isn't it? Oh, it's Bill again from uh, Canada this time. So, uh, well done, Bill. Uh, we will send you that book. I think it takes about three weeks to get to you on average. So, yeah. So, I will... Uh, we've got your address, Bill. So, uh, we will send you that book. Um, and then, of course, we've got a competition to set for this week. Um, yes. Our chums at Grub Street Publishing have come up trumps again, Wee. and uh, they have sent, have sent me a book called Facing Armageddon, and uh, Mrs. Nev has actually read this book from has she? cover to cover, yes, and she can highly recommend it. I was, thought I might give you a bit of a um, uh, synopsis of the book, if that's all right, um, so that people can know what it's all about. Uh, it's written by Chaz Hall, and it says that after being called up for national service in July 1960... 20-year-old Chas Hall joined the RAF and signed on to extend his time for an ex extra three years, becoming a regular serviceman. Following initial training, he became a wireless operator, uh, wireless operator and served at RAF Meldenhall. It was shortly after this he got his first foreign posting in late 1961 to Christmas Island. Uh, it was on this island that Chas encountered the horrors of nuclear testing in an operation codenamed Brigadoon by the British government and Dominic by the Americans, Chaz experienced 25 atmospheric nuclear tests 
This he describes as his 12-month sentence alongside over 300 British and 10,000 American servicemen who were posted to one corner of remote Coral Island. Facing Armageddon reveals the true extent of the controversial nuclear testing and how it affected servicemen with 25 men dying during Chaz's time on Christmas Island and many more suffering mentally as they continued serving on the island. With the British government announcing medals for nuclear test veterans in November 2022 to recognise their contribution in the tests after a four-year campaign by participants and the Mirror newspaper, Chaz's story gives insight as to why these servicemen deserve the recognition for their part in these tests. The book contains a number of unpublished photos from the author's personal collection and is an essential piece of work in understanding the tough conditions servicemen faced during their time on Christmas Island. So that was back in 1961, the year I was born. So, um, yeah, f absolutely fascinating reading, according to Mrs. Neff. So we are going to uh, offer this book for the next competition. And continuing the Airbus theme, as we have been uh, today, uh, I've got another Airbus question for you. So this oh. week's question is as follows. Now, Airbus have got uh, many, many assembly plants uh, throughout the world, and they've got lots of subcontractors and all the rest of it. But this week's, this week's question is, how many Airbus final assembly plants are there around the world, and where are they located? How many Airbus final assembly plants are there around the world and where are they located? I'm not talking about all the subcontractors and all the rest of it. This, these are Airbus final assembly plants. Blimey, so, There you are. So send your answer to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and we shall read out the winner on next week's show. Cool. I, 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 part of me can't, is quite shocked that Mrs. Nev have re has read an aviation-themed book. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I was surprised as well. But yeah. you see, she is intrigued by titles of books. And ah. this one says Facing Armageddon. And, you you uh, don't think she's right, plotting something, you know, do you? I barely took it out of the jiffy bag and she was, you know... <laughs> Reading she, it, but, she, uh, she's not plotting anything, is she? I mean, well, well th this, 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 this <laughs> does concern me slightly, but um, yeah, indeed. Um, Never mind. I was just going to mention actually about my um, my trip back from oh, Stockholm. Yes, yes, we need to know, Nev. We need to know. Come on, come on, get it off your chest. Oh, every, well, is, there, is everyone comfortable? Is everyone, is everyone sat? comfortable? Here we go. <laughs> Can you get your beers in your hand, people? Yes, I think we might need. Now, it. you know, I'm an easygoing fellow, as you know, when it comes to flying. I'm, I'm not particularly, you know, special or anything like that. But um, uh, on the way back from uh, Stockholm, I landed to Heathrow Airport. Um, we were sitting at the gate area, and um, this lady comes along with the, the uh, little ticket that Matt's going to put up onto the screen. Uh, which um, says that you uh, that your handbag or laptop bag is carried, uh, cabin guaranteed. This bag must be placed under the seat in front of you. Brilliant. Uh, obviously, they're trying to do the usual business of you know. Oh, we've got too many bags on on the flight. However, without actually working out where anyone's sitting, this lady just went round the whole of the gate and where she saw bags. She just put this on, on, on people's bags. Uh-oh. <laughs> now, I've got on the aircraft, um, and seating in my usual seat, as you can imagine, um, all I've got in front of me is a bulkhead. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to, um, you know, I'm just going to put it up on the 
you know, in, in the overhead bin. But before, before I actually got to that point, I did say to her, well, I'm actually sitting in, in the first row. Uh, didn't really register with her at all. But anyway, that's another story. So I got on the aircraft and the BA crew, great as always, um, and as usual, a bit of baggage congestion on the aircraft. Has that ever happened before? Um, <laughs> and so the lead cabin crew lady took my bag out of the overhead locker just above me because somebody else wants to put their bag in um, and says oh it's got a yellow sticker on it you've got to put it under the seat in front of you now in one alpha that is a challenge because um, <laughs> that's not possible I did put it under my seat well there you go put it under the captain's seat put it under the flight deck shouldn't yeah. wardrobe was full up as well anyway so she said well why have you got a yellow ticket I'm going I don't know that's the you know tell, the ground. You tell me, boys and girls. <laughs> and this went on for well, not you know, a, f a few seconds. Oh well, we'll have to see if we can find some space for it. So she places it about three rows behind from where I'm sitting. So you can imagine what happens when you you know they pull onto the gate. Uh, Heathrow. I've now got to ask people very kindly would they mind passing Fight. me my bag because the chance of going backwards when everyone wants to go forwards is nil but um oh and by the way we had the usual half hour delay this time having left uh 10 minutes early so we were actually 45 minutes early uh oh sorry for the delay we haven't switched on or they haven't switched on the stand guidance the usual business at Heathrow they've got to stop that. I know we're a bit early, but, but you know, flight radar 24 said we're coming, so <laughs> you know, yeah, true. Anyway, so that was just uh, another little little moment uh, that I had on the way back. But how was the flight and actually the flight itself now? Was it oh, good? as always. Um, and it was quite interesting actually because it was it was very warm in Stockholm as I mentioned earlier for this time of year so it was about 26 degrees so I thought it might be a bit bumpy but it was completely smooth flight uh, just uh, one trip around uh, the hold I think uh, and we still got in uh, 40 minutes early which was brilliant so that was great but yeah uh, baggage management on the plane can we sort it out no, it's well, the answer, clearly. Apparently not, it seems, yeah. They need a new different tag for that particular seat for row one, Nev. Or, how about this? I know it's controversial. Uh -oh. Could I see your boarding pass so I can see what seat you're in? Oh, you're in the front row, right? Don't worry about this ticket then. Yeah, but you're applying common sense and uh, something which many don't have, which is time, it seems, these days. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, you know, I'm not having a serious rant about it but it's just another thing that um doesn't quite add up properly but there we are mm. oh dear so, fingers so where, crossed where, for next time nev <laughs> i was gonna say on that note where are you off to now uh, next now uh let me think next flight is edinburgh my usual trip up there so that's in a couple of weeks time so that will be the usual business of uh, terminal five boarding can we check in 30 pieces of luggage please so we'll have all that I need used another bad word uh, again, but um, yeah, so we'll have a bit of that going on. And it certainly happens on the way back uh, with the Swiss port handling folks at Edinburgh. That always happens, and that's just almost as though they haven't boarded an aircraft before, but there you go. I don't um, know. I so, just seem uh, like this is becoming more and more of a... Because, like, not being funny, never, I haven't... This sort of hasn't been a problem before. 
The thing is, you see, uh, what, I mean, Andy is an operator of, of this aircraft, so he knows how big... I, I know seating configurations do differ a bit, but bearing in mind that on the BA flights, the f it depends on you know how many rows there are, but generally speaking, between six and ten rows are business class, even on the domestic routes. Um, so the middle seat is not sold, therefore there's even more room to put things underneath the seat in front of you if you're beyond 1A. Now, just looking at the sort of bags and things that people are carrying on, um, I would have thought even a fully laden uh, aircraft full of passengers with some of their soft bags, they, they could still do all this stuff, but apparently not. We've got to check in about between 20 and 30 bags at the start of all this business. And of course, now the passengers know that uh, even if they're not Group 1, even if not, they're not a premium passenger, uh, they just take the bags onto the aircraft, or above, sorry, up to the counter and the gate, and then um, people check their bags in. And then they say, oh, we'll, we'll board you first if you give us your bag. Now, of course, what they haven't told them is there's going to be a 20-minute delay at the other end whilst they get the bag off, but that's neither here nor there. But um, I, th this is, seems to be a BA policy uh, which is ludicrous, and all it does is cause delays at the gate and delays with border. I think. I suppose, and as well, Nev, if you're if you're like yourself, you you tend to carry, you know, when you're doing stuff for the show and stuff, you've got your very nice camera with you, mm. film camera. That that's something you don't really want shoved anywhere where it can be. Um, well, yeah, I mean, but, but also, I mean, BA do say uh, that in uh, all the business class, uh, you can take two pieces of hand luggage anyway. Um, now, one of them will have to go under the seat in front of you if you're uh, behind me. That sounded very bad, didn't it? But you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, they, they, why is it so difficult? Why is it difficult? I, I, don't, I don't understand it. And, um, and of course... The other thing that happened the other day, as I mentioned on the previous show when I was on the time before last, the number of announcements that are going on the, at the gate and poor microphone technique for a start, so no one can understand what people are saying. If English is not your first language, forget it. You know, the, 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 you've got no chance of understanding yeah. what's going on. Um, and uh, in fact, I've just delivered a seminar two days ago at the event I was at at Ascot talking about the importance of speech intelli intelligibility. I can't even say it. <laughs> you can't even say it. That's, that, that's quite ironic, isn't it? The importance of speech intelligibility and audio equity. Love that. BA don't do that at the gate. It's awful. Yeah. And another thing, Andy. Why is it on... Yeah, Andy. <laughs> not just Airbus aircraft, any commercial aircraft, why is the PA of such poor quality when it's a mission-critical or safety-critical item? Do you know what? I was just thinking of you yesterday when I was flying. The PA that I was using, and I mean, I picked the same handset up every time, it was crystal clear... I could hear myself, I had the flight deck door open because it was my welcome on board speech. I could hear it. It was a lovely quality, lovely bass. It was all perfect. What? 
So they must have mm. fixed this. It was a pretty brand new Neil. So they must have fixed the issue with it. Oh, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad oh, that happened. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. Well, that's exciting. It, it's just uh, appalling. And, of course, with those handsets, I think you do have to hold them fairly close because if you don't, uh, it, the, 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 the amount of sound you actually get out of it in the cabin is, is not great, is oh, it? Yeah, it's right up to your face. But I'll tell you another thing and why you'll hear things so badly. A lot of pilots press so we've got a handset on the airbus anyway that you can pick up like a phone just like they use at the front and talk into and that gives a much clearer um sound yeah audibility response and yeah 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 or what a lot of people do and this is why you get terrible pas is press the pa button on the um audio control panel and talk through the mic like that we're right <laughs> the first and that's why you hear it like this and that's what they do. And Airbus recommend if you're doing a PA, only use that for emergency PAs. And if you're doing just a normal PA, use the handset. Mm. So that's probably why a lot of people aren't using the that handset. That actually uh, explains quite a lot. And, oh. and the reason behind why there's um, variability, shall we say, in between. Uh, uh, I am very upset by Captain Cruz's comment. Uh-oh. Which is... Even with perfect PA, it's hard for most to understand Andy's accent. Oh, <gasps> oh, oh. dear. Now that's brave. That's, <laughs> that, that is regionalist. Oh, dear. Here we go. <laughs> hey, my uh, accent's pretty weak compared to other people up here. Yeah, I, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, right. I'm, I'm scared now. Can we go home, please? That, that, was, that was a bit blimey. Yeah. Yeah. blimey. Even by Captain Cruz's standards. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Oh. Andy, I'm just wondering, um, when you were training, did they um, did they do a section on doing a, a captain's draw for doing the, the PA? Um, when we did, in, I remember when we did very initial training many years ago, they gave us this little paper pamphlet on what not to say in a PA. Um, but for command training, no. No, they didn't. But did they just... get you to talk into the microphone like that? And, and do it <laughs> well, uh, the, this is your uh, captain uh, speaking. And, uh, got it. That's it. You've got to check lots of... Uh, yeah, you've got there. to have uh, in there. Is there <laughs> a special fair, syllabus for I, that? Or is that could... just something that you pick up with age and experience? <laughs> I'll tell you why it happened. Because I do it quite... I go, welcome on board your mm, flight to... Uh, and actually you're going, where the hell are we going today? <laughs> where am I going I today? remember. <laughs> Uh, I really hope one day that I get to um, to be on one of your flights, Andy, as a passenger. Me too. Yeah, I'd like that. I'll scare you all. No, yeah. I don't think you will. That's the thing. In, I'm it's a in very this, professional player. Exactly, and it's the same. Like you know, Captain Al, bless him. He is, you know, he he is the world's biggest like practical practical joker. Given half a ch chance, I mean, I've I've got many a video from Farnborough that if we shared with our listener, uh, we would be in an awful lot of trouble. Uh, but uh, as I say, you like like Andy, you stick them in the cockpit there, and they are the ultimate professionals. I I really would love to to come and have. I I, I don't know, even if I'm you know, even if it's on a turnaround. <laughs> Oh, you're making me blush now. Yeah, no. It'd be good. It'd be good. Yeah. So we're going to. I mean, I, I, I would be furious, should I say, the fact because on a turnaround, of course, I even if I was going there and coming straight back, I still wouldn't be allowed 
to I'd have to go on a different flight back, wouldn't I? Because I'd never get into the airport, checked in, back on and out again <laughs> yeah. in, in the time. Yeah. So it would have to be it would either be one way in or one way out, whichever. But uh, there we go. Anyway, sorry, Carlos, do carry on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, Matt, with uh, important news because uh, for those of you listening, he might be joining us on Sunday. Uh, for those of you who are me, Matt, and Nev. Uh, hopefully are all going to be descending on Duxford on Sunday for the Battle of Britain air show. Now that's happening, as I said, uh, over at Duxford, uh, the Air Museum there, this coming Sunday. So not tomorrow, the day after we shall be there. If you're listening to this uh, past, sorry, you know, yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll miss you if you're not there. But if you are coming, it'll be great to see you if you are coming to Duxford on Sunday. Uh, there's a few, going to be a few faces there from the chat room. I know that uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny's coming over from Rome. Uh, also, uh, Sturman's going to be there as well from the chat room as well. So if you are uh, hoping to come out to Duxford on Sunday to join us at the air show, we'll all be there. Me, Matt and Nev will be there uh, you know, with our glorious PTUK shirts and T-shirts on there. So you'll be able to see us there. be great to see you if you are... Uh, going to be out that way on Sunday. It'd be great to see you there. It'd be really, really nice to meet up with some of you there at the air show. Yeah, the only problem problem for this uh, for this is like every time we have to break out the PTUK shirts and t-shirts, it's like, oh god, is it still going to fit? <laughs> <laughs> and then I get the me- email saying, Carlos, can you order me another shirt, please? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. hopefully yes. not. Hopefully, uh, not. just a bit hopefully of uh, extra info, just to. Uh, correct what you said there, Carl. Sadly, Jenny won't be able to make oh. it because um, her husband is not well at the moment. Oh. She's got to stay behind, unfortunately, which is uh, oh, a, big, is a big pity for her, but also mm. for her husband as well. Indeed, yes. um, so, but we wish him all the very best. We do. Yes. We do. Lots of love. Lots of love. Speedy recovery, and mm. we'll hopefully uh, see Jenny again soon somewhere. And Indeed. actually, on that note as well, Nev, as the team, as we all care about our listeners and everyone in our community, also we're going to mention a quick uh, get well soon to Steve Vischer yes. from the uh, Playing Crazy Down Under podcast. I know Steve does listen to the show. Yeah. Uh, so, And he's uh, obviously he's recovering now. He's, uh, he's had all the various bits and pieces uh, sorted out, hopefully, because he was... Uh, um, not in, well. He's a, in a bit of a bad way last week, but he's on the road to recovery, thankfully. And um, I did. Um, I think we all got a message from Grant, didn't we, uh, this week, just to say, give us an update on how Steve was doing. But uh, from all the team here, obviously, Steve, swift recovery, and back to uh, to doing what you love doing, which obviously is uh, is podcasting. So yeah, all the best to you, Steve, uh, from all of us here at PTUK, and a swift recovery. But quick round, Robin, before we finish. Right, here we go. Let's go with Nev first. Nev, what are you doing next week? Oh, I'm going to meet up with Jacob Darlington, our chum from Australia, who is over in the UK for a month or so. Uh, he's doing some simulator training uh, down at Gatwick. So I'm going to go down there on Tuesday to have some food and chat with him, uh, see if I can bring my camera with me as well. That'd be quite Ooh. good. Uh, if I'm allowed to do some interviews there. So uh, that'll be happening on Tuesday afternoon of next week. Uh, but otherwise, just travelling around the country generally uh, next week. Yeah, Matt, what's going on with you next week? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Work, I guess. Oh. <laughs> Busy old time, I, I think Matt. I, I think that's the highlight. <laughs> OK, the highlight. Yeah, you're, not, Sunday, you're, not, you're not here next week, are you? Yes, I'm here next week, yeah. 
Yeah, I shall be here next week. Oh, no, actually, no. I'm doing, I'm covering the 80s obsession <laughs> on Park next Friday. So I shan't be here next Friday. No, no indeed. Uh, but uh, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there will be a good show ready for you guys and girls indeed. next week. Now, Nick, what are you, what are you doing next week? Oh, I've got a busy week next week. I've uh, got a um, product that I need to build for work for a uh, an exhibition that's coming up in Germany. No. Busy times for Nick. Yep. Excellent. And, of course, to our guest this week, Andy, a big thanks to you for joining us this week. Thanks to your great discussion on the news stories we had this week. Very much appreciated. But uh, what are you up to next week? Any um, any flying to some glorious sunny destinations in the Mediterranean? I'm off to Crete in the morning, uh, straight back. And then I am off all next week. I'm on leave. What? Um, and this time next week, I'll be drunk in a field at Silverstone. Whee! Love um, that. So I'm there for the weekend for the touring cars. And then the week after, I'm down in Gatwick all week on a course at the uh, Civil Aviation Authority. That'll be fun. What, sim Sims? In the Sim? N no, no, I'm at, I'm at the CAA on a course oh. for flight ops inspectors or something oh, like that. word. Yes. How did it go down at Gatwick in the in the Sim? The other week, Andy. You oh, yeah, when I took were, the family down. You were taking down. your other half, weren't you? Yeah, and, and my little girl as well. Well, Zoe managed to quite impressively confuse the aeroplane. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> she rotated so rapidly and hit the tail on rotation Oops. that the aircraft remained in direct law instead of blending into flight mode and immediately stalled. She thought, oh. she thought it was hilarious. Right. <laughs> Uh, okay. Neither of them have any aptitude for flying, so I know my job's safe. Right, good. Um, that's always a, that's but always it, a comfort. It was a good, fun hour in the simulator. We had a great time. Excellent. Oh, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so we're going to say a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the chat room tonight. Thanks to all the usual family members in there for joining us this evening for the show. Don't forget to join the guys next Friday for episode 473 of the show. Thanks to everyone for tuning in tonight. Thanks to Nick for all your hard work this week as well. And also John as well. I know he's, uh, he's had a busy week as well. Uh, as well. And uh, Nev, thanks to you as well. And sure. uh, looking forward to tuning in next week if I get a chance to hear your, uh, your latest rants. And, of course, thanks to, to Matt as well. And uh, last but not least, thank you to the glorious Andy for your contribution to the show this week, Andy. Thank you very much indeed. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show uh, when well, you have the time to join us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me again. It's been good fun. So that's it. That's all for episode 472 of the show. Have a great weekend, whatever you are up to. And uh, don't forget to tune in next Friday, 7 o'clock, here on YouTube uh, for another great show. So from me, Carlos here in the home studios, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite studios, from Nev in his home studios in glorious countryside Buckinghamshire, from Nick and, of course, from Andy. Have a great weekend and see you next week. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>